Welcome back to the World on Drugs podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Steve Fury. We got another banger on our hands, all about Jose Manuel Martinez. This episode is done by my guy, Gray Livingston. I love his work. My guest this week is George Perez, one of my oldest friends, but we will get into that later. Contract killing cocaine in Quinceañeras. This is a story of Jose Manuel Martinez, a.k.a. El Mano Negra, a Mexican-American cartel hitman and debt collector who claims to have killed over 30 people in 12 different states between 1977 and 2013. My man was in the business for a long time. He is currently serving the first of his 10 consecutive life sentences, and if there's anything about Jose's story that it shows, it's that if you kill the right people... You can get away with it for a very long time. Our guest this week is my guy, George Perez. If you don't know George Perez, wake the fuck up. Now, George Perez is an obviously stand-up comedian, um, but, but more than that, he is a man. He's one of my very good friends. We'll give a little background on uh, old, old Georgie P. Georgie P likes to party fucking hard. The man was in prison for a few years back in the day. Um... And he's been out, and he's, I wouldn't say reformed his life, but he's not been doing gangster shit. He grew up in Orange County, was a gangbanger down there. Um, then he got, he started getting into comedy. He was, I think he won um, MTV's Yo Mama, the, the Yo Mama raps thing. Started growing up his career. Career was getting hot. Then he went to jail for a few years, uh, prison a few years. Then he got out and uh, hit back to comedy, had to regain his life. And I'm telling you, he's one of the newest paid regulars at the comedy store. How do I know George? When I first moved here, um, he and I were at the comedy store, but we weren't in yet. We just kind of hit it off, man. And if you ever want to have a good fucking time, go. Well, George Perez right now, he is a touring stand-up comedian, has a bunch of shows. If you've ever seen Foo's Gone Wild, the Instagram, he's a large part of that organization and that kind of uh family, per se. Um, he also is a strip club DJ. And if you ever want to have a good time, let me tell you, go hang out with George Perez in Orange County strip clubs. The man is like the movie Goodfellas, where he goes in the back door, slipping everybody's 20s. I've done it uh, twice. Um, I'm not a big strip club guy, but being with a guy who is the man at a strip club is pretty fucking cool and pretty fucking fun. George is a down-ass foo, would be one way I'd put it. Um, he and I hit it off very early because, you know, your boy, people like your boy. I'm a nice guy, but I'm also, uh, you know, I keep shit real. Okay? I'm a cool I'm a cool guy. People like me. Um, and we hit it off pretty early, and, and it was always a delight to see him. So to see him finally getting past at the comedy store, um, felt like one of my brothers was getting past, man. You know, we were on the outside, now we're in. And life is good. George Perez, uh, he also has a podcast called George Perez Stories that I did. And that shit, man, you go over there. Number one, you get there at eight. Podcast probably doesn't end till four. There's strippers coming over. A lot of extracurriculars going on. Fucking 30 blunts. It is a party that is X-rated to say the least. But, uh, you know, getting a little old now, me. But, back, you know, dip your toe in there every couple months sounds like a kind of fun time that I like to do. What have I been up to, folks? Um, 
I seriously fucked up my knee. Uh, you guys may have followed me at all. It would be weird if you listen to the podcast but don't follow me on Instagram. You've seen I've been on crutches in the main room, crutching around town. Well, uh, my knee, um, it's not doing well. I've got a lot of problems with it. I just started taking some physical therapy a little more seriously. I uh, recently got it drained, which was pretty gnarly. They took about, about 50 cc's of, um, I don't know if it's pus or whatever fills up your knee. Um, 50 cc's is, uh, 10 cc's is what a needle is, like what a heroin addict would do, or a little bit bigger than that. So they took out five, five of them, took them out. How did that feel? Um, not good. It doesn't feel natural when a knee... So I've gotten, I started with the cortisone shot about a month ago. That's when I was able to start walking around a little bit, man. And then now we got the uh, drainage, and um, they said they want me to go in, get a little scope action, put a camera in there. I didn't, I didn't know you could put a camera in a knee um, and check it out. But I said, you know what, buddy? Guess what? I'm on fucking tour at Burkreischer. I'm not getting my knee scoped and losing this. So I got a couple, uh, got some pain pills to help me uh, on the bad days. I do not take them every day. Oh, today I fucked up my knee. We just got some fucking food. I walked out and there was like a three-inch lift from the door of the thing. And I fell and I, um... So essentially what's wrong with my knee right now is it's... I call it shrimping, okay? Shrimping. We're not going back to the shrimp tails. But I call it shrimping. You know when you get a shrimp, you know, wet? It can almost go straight. You throw it in a pan and it starts... Gets in that little C. So my leg is shrimping. Um, so now it wants to not go straight anymore. And when your knee doesn't go straight, you start walking with a limp. When you start walking with a limp, it fucks up your hip. When it fucks up your hip, it starts fucking up your back, and then I become a piece of shit. And I don't want that. So what am I doing now? I'll even do it right now. I might... Oh, fuck, that hurts. I have to put my leg straight above my head um, and almost try and lock the knees. But let me tell you, folks... What's not comfortable? Doing that. So I've just been having to do that so my leg doesn't shrimp. What else have I been up to? Uh, last tour with Alberti Boy. We were in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, Asheville, North Carolina. Roanoke, Virginia. And Richmond, Virginia. We're really jumping into the South. What do I think about the South? Pretty cool. You know what, man? Sometimes I find myself, maybe you guys relate to this, I find myself to be intimidated. You know, and you walk into the South and you go, what are they going to like? You go anywhere in your life. Are they going to like me for me? Is the stuff that I say in California, does it translate to the South? Look, Mexican jokes don't work out here. Not that I make fun of Mexicans, but Mexican supermarket. Chipotle jokes don't work out here. Drug jokes don't work out here. But guess what? I'm a fucking professional. Okay? I'm opening for one of the biggest acts in the goddamn world. You think I can't squeeze out some bits? Some bits? Yeah, so I just started doing some other material. And back to crushing. We're doing very well. Um, back in L.A., 
setup like we talked about was moving three shows a week, actually two now. It will be every Wednesday and every Sunday. So very excited for that. First Sunday show, March 8th. If you're in L.A., make sure you check that out. Very happy to do that. Um, Fuck, I really fucked up my knee today, dude. That shit really hurt. And then I got some pretty cool news, guys. If you're a long-time listener, first-time caller, feel free to call me on my Instagram. Don't ever call me, actually, but you feel free to DM me. Um, if you listen, it's actually funny. I think I've done this podcast for almost a year now. Hmm. Um, wild, actually. So if you remember last year, ah, fucking my knee's still going. I had to, I did the JFL audition. Remember that, guys? If you guys don't remember, there was a man named Jeff Singer, Just for Laughs, is a comedy festival in Canada. And I know you're like, well, who the fuck cares about Canada? For some reason, 30 years ago, they decided that this was going to be the preeminent bad motherfucker comedy festival. And every comedian that you love and have heard about has gotten JFL new fresh faces, faces. So that is where they go around the country every year to all the big clubs. Then they um, watch everyone do a set. And at the end of the thing, probably around... April, May, March, April, May, probably around May, they announced their fresh faces. And then they fly those people up to Canada. All the industry goes there. I'm talking movie producers, SNL, all those people are there. They watch the new people. There's also a festival over the whole city of Montreal. All the biggest names of comedians go up there, okay? I have auditioned for that four years in a row. Got callbacks every year, so that's two auditions, so eight times. And I have bodied every one of those. I would say of the six to eight sets that I've done, I was the best. If it was six, if it was eight, I was the best six. And if it was six, I was the best four. Now, listen, guys. Okay, I toot my own horn sometimes. But if you know me, you know I'm not a man who lies, who makes up, or who isn't very hard on himself. I body those things. And last year was the epitome of crushing. So the guy who used to run it, his name's Jeff Singer. They call him... You know, a tastemaker, a gatekeeper. He had been do- choosing the people who did fresh faces for the last 30 years. He's a weird little Canadian man, wore a fedora all the time, had a mustache. So I go in last year, you know, it's like a job asking you to interview over and over and over and over again. And a lot of things in life, you know, you, you get them when you stop caring. And after auditioning so many times and botting, I just stopped fucking caring. And last year, I also know this. The JFL people, they want to know your story. They just don't want joke, joke, joke. They want to know your story. So that's why I worked on my... um, That's why I worked on the story about me. um, That's what people wear in France where my mom gave me a bunch of terrible clothes. I knew they wanted that. I knew because in the story it tells how I grew up. I didn't grow up rich. tells how funny outfits. does all the things they want that you could almost make a sitcom out of. That's what it really is. It's not about who's the funniest person. It's like how can this person be a star and sell them. So last year I go in there. I go about middle of the lineup and I kill. I can see him laughing and he normally doesn't laugh. And I'm bow. Bow, bow. Uh, one of the better spots, best one. When I got out of the room, everyone was freaking out, okay? Show ends, I go outside. 
Uh, my manager's there, bunch of agents, bunch of m- important people in Hollywood. They all come up to me, say, oh, you're so great, all this kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. And out of nowhere, Jeff Singer, the little weird Canadian man, tastemaker, comes up in front of everybody and goes, hey, that was one of the best sets I've ever seen. You are a future star. Can you? Would you come with me over here and start talking to me for a little bit? And I was staring at him in the fucking face, and he goes, what's up? And I go, he goes, why are you looking at me? I go, because uh, I've known you for eight years, and you never said a word to me. He goes, well, that's going to change. Brings me over to the side, heaps the amount of praise on me that um, just just felt like everything you ever wanted. It made me feel like I wasn't wasting my life, because this is the last year, right? Maybe it felt like, you know, man, you know, being being alternative to the status quo is fun. Like, fuck those guys. I don't need them. But when the tastemakers and the gatekeepers like you, it just feels good. So he's telling me that. He's telling me I'm going to be a star. I go hang out with my manager. He's blown away. I mean, he's not blown away because he sees me do this shit, but he's like, whoa, I've never seen Jeff Singer do that to somebody. Two days later. Jeff Singer is at the con. He's the little uh, Canadian man with the top hat. Goes to the comedy cellar and is talking to some comedians and starts saying the N word in a way of saying like, "If you guys can say eh, er with the R, why can't I say eh, er with the R?" And he keeps saying it and it makes everyone uncomfortable. And he got fired. He got fired in the middle of the fucking day, in the middle of the thing. So then I don't get JFL because a man, a Canadian man, asked a bunch of black comics at the comedy store, why can't I say, can you fucking believe that? Not can you believe that he got fired, but can you believe he just did that in the bad luck? Turns out I don't get JFL. Um, I was, if you listen to the podcast about a year ago, it's probably around March when I did it. And then maybe like a month or two after, uh, really fucked me up. But then we got some good news, folks. Then um, my manager hits me up about a week ago. So Netflix is doing a festival in L.A. It's going to be the Netflix Comedy Festival. And they are choosing some comedians to audition for their version of the Just for Laughs new faces as in they're saying these are the people we think are going to be the next big hit in comedy except Netflix is doing it so you'll probably get a deal with Netflix if I get it and so the rules that they have are you cannot have put out an album yet an hour album and you can't have had JFL so what's so funny is that something that broke my heart last year is the single reason that I'm allowed to get this this year and it's just so it just shows so much how when a door closes a window can open even if it's like a fucking year later cause that JFL thing fucked me up dude like it really did you know cause I'm ready 
I'm tired. Like, okay, I'm opening for Bill for for, for uh, Bert Kreischer. Awesome, and I'm paid earlier at the comedy store. Awesome, but like, I'm I'm idling at the fucking starting line. You know what I mean? I'm there. I'm in the race. Or no, it's not even like that. You know what it is? It's um. I'm a fucking pitcher in some major leagues. I'm in the major leagues, but I'm not playing. I'm not getting in the game, and I'm going and practice, and I'm whipping the ball 95 miles an hour. My curve's unhittable. I mean, I'm not that great, okay, but, you know, I'm just ready to get in the game. And, um, you know, in your life, when something bad happens, just know something good could happen. And now I didn't get shit yet, but just for the opportunity, it will be good. Because guess what? I'm better than I was last year. I'm better than I've ever been. <sighs> it's just uh, so that's on March 18th. I've got what three weeks. Let's go, baby. Let's see how that happens. Um, what's coming up for me? Otherwise than that, not much going on. Just going to be on the road with Bert a bunch and got that thing. Um, see my knee get scoped. Suggestions. Uh, if you guys like this podcast, just get Hulu, man. They have so much crime stuff going on there. One of the great one is uh, Drugs, Inc. And then on um, Netflix, there's like this new... Serial killer season. That's pretty great. It's about this. One of them is about this Canadian cannibal that like I'd never even heard of. So check that stuff out, guys. Uh, this is the Jose Manuel Martinez Armando Negra um, with my man George Perez. I want to give a shout out to my guy Bruce Gray who edits my podcast, and I want to give a shout out to the Comedy Store Podcast. I love everybody. Thanks for checking out. Let's give some good vibes to each other. Um, Peace. Check it out. Jose Manuel Martinez. <laughs> I don't know what that voice was. Peace. George Perez, thanks for coming in, buddy. What's up, my boy? So excited to see you. I haven't seen you in a while after you got passed and everything. And how's life been? Life's been great. Uh, you know, just uh, trying to stay relevant, grinding, trying to be a dad. I am, but you know, it's hard, dude, but I love it. Yeah, I mean, uh, now you got the late night spots too. How have those been going? Fun. You know, it's um, we always think we got this game figured out, and then when I got introduced to that OR room, it's it's a trip. Yeah, you know, and late, like, cause late. I'm like, damn, at ten o'clock, everyone sits here, and I'm up, half of them left, but it's great. Hey, man, I just I love how it's getting me better and better. Yeah, you definitely start learning a lot and, <laughs> and cutting some fat or, like, just finding a certain way to get a voice. I mean, the worst is, like, when you get there two people before you and maybe the two people before you are good or maybe they aren't, and you can just see the people leaving. And it's like, motherfucker. Yeah. But still a blessing to even have. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, we have to analyze everything. Yeah, exactly. I feel the same way. And people always go, like, just be happy. I'm like, someone who's happy is content. Someone who's content doesn't go farther and strive for more. No. All right, buddy, I'm going to talk to you about Jose Manuel Martinez. Um, essentially, he was a hitman for the cartel. Um, he was His nickname was El Mano Negra, which is a pretty fucking cool-ass nickname. We're just going to start <laughs> into it. We're just going to start into it. Around June 13th, uh, 1962, Jose Manuel Martinez was born in Fresno, California, to farm-working parents from Mexico. He and his siblings spent time in the U.S. and in Mexico while growing up. In the U.S., they lived on a ranch in between the towns of Delano and Erlamart. Uh, not Do you great. know where that is? 
That's like Fresno. It's pretty. Yeah, it's like Central California, right? Yeah, it's a pretty. Uh, not much going on there. Those are the ones where I drive when you drive through to San Francisco from L.A. or Sacramento, and you're like, "We got gas." Yeah, we got gas. <laughs> it's like, is gas the best job here? I yeah. always think when I go in these places and it's like a gas station, Wendy's. I'm like, "Are you guys the the ones that made it?" Yeah. Is this the best job in the city? Because there is nothing as far as I can see. George, what neighborhood, what area of California did you grow up in? I grew up in the big, bad city of Orange, Orange County. Uh, I grew up where we bordered Santana. Garden. I like. I always live on border cities, so it's like I got to see it. Like all the kids that were bad came to our schools because yeah, we yeah. bordered. I grew up in Orange County, Southern California. How was that, man? You like it? I loved it, bro. It was very diverse. You know, like we had Filipinos, Samoans, Vietnamese, Thai, we, like Cambodians, yeah. everything. And I loved it. So I got to experience it all. That's why I think one of the coolest things about California is like you just deal with so many different types of people and it becomes almost just uh, like a true melting pot. You know, you're eating at a sushi restaurant, you're eating maybe some Filipino food, you're eating other kind of stuff. It really allows you to see some different stuff in the world. Yeah. His mother and stepfather managed a house of migrant farm workers in Central California. In Mexico, they lived near the town of Cosala, a small city nestled in the Sierra Madre mountain range in the state of Sinaloa. You know what that's for, right? Yeah. That's capital of fucking narco world. Yeah, Sinaloa is the biggest cartel. Well, they are or were. They're like Pakistan with Muslims, dog. Like, they just make them. You're born at your baptism. They give you an AK, a coke it's sorry dog no this is exactly what we want to talk about i mean that is what it is i mean when it when 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 because it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere there's Mm -hmm. no real law enforcement there's no borders yeah there's nothing there so it's just whoever has the most money and the most power probably controls the area (laughs) (laughs) tend to be here too our government just is the one yeah the area of california where he lived tulare county was the center of the 20th century civil rights movement to organize farm workers caesar chavez passed through the area frequently and jose says he saw him a few times but wasn't interested in the movement he quoted saying i don't like to get up at 5 a.m in the morning and go to the fields yeah well you had cocaine fields full yeah that's true yeah yeah (laughs) he had a little different things going on martinez's stepfather pedro fernandez was organizing jobs for migrant workers coming through the area but also was a businessman his business was heroin. Oh. Have you or your family members ever sold drugs? I've I've already told most of my drug selling stories on this. So if you want to say someone, you don't have to say a name or anything. Man, uh I grew up in a you know, my my father hid a lot of shit from us. Yeah. But I he didn't hide it from me. And I Were you the oldest? No. Oh, okay. My dad had fifteen kids and when I was like 14, 12, that's when he retired from his regular jobs. And he was like, let me show you the side hustle I've been doing my whole time. He used to, he was a coyote. He used to bring people from Mexico over. And wow. this is like early 90s, late yeah. 80s. And yeah. it was like easy. Yeah. And he would use all my brother's birth certificates. Back then, you didn't need an oh, ID. Oh, that's fucking smart. <laughs> he had 15 <laughs> of them. He's like, I can get a whole fucking van of people in here, bro. Wow. And I remember sometimes people were just like strapped with bricks on them of mm-hmm. Coke. And would he walk that? Like yeah. he would do it? Yeah. Go like, over the border and everything? Yeah, we wouldn't drive the border. We'd walk the border because back then it was such an inside job. It was just like from the rumors I heard, my dad was hooking up with the guard's sister 
And he just told her straight up, hey, a G a day. And this is 90s, dog. Mm, that's a lot of money, yeah, yeah. And TJ? Yeah. Come on. And then he would just walk people across? Walk them across. Like, yeah. he would be like, hey, I need you to bring seven T-shirts, seven of oh, your old clothes, just so they looked American. Yeah. Because they were like, damn, these, these fools don't have guests. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know So I mean? he would just walk across from Tijuana. One. Yeah. yeah. And then we'd be parked right there. And then. Yeah, I know there's that one parking lot right before you walk over. Yeah, yeah. I mean. It does seem like that seems a lot better way than some of the coyotes where you see like yeah. they're going through the deserts of Texas or some shit. I'm like, I'd almost risk walking it to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, maybe not now. I sold drugs, but I was never like, uh, it was hard, dude, because it was stress weed back then. I used to sell stress weed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hooked up. It was kind of like uh, I was 18, 19, and it was, man, I was horrible, dude. Yeah. Was like, it just to cover your own stuff? So I would just break even. Yeah. yeah, 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 just, yeah. Like, I'd be like, damn, dog, I'm supposed to have a boat. <laughs> Where the fuck's my plane? It's hard to make money from weed unless you buy it in <laughs> large amounts. Yeah. In 1976, Pedro Fernandez put Jose on a gray hound bus to Indio, California to pick up a package. It was Jose's middle school graduation day, and he later wrote about that event in his 2014 autobiography saying, when I picked up the package, I asked the guy what was in it. He told me it was heroin. I was a kid. I didn't know much about it. He didn't ask the guy. He told the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other guy. (laughs) I'm surprised the other guy told him, too. You have to. Yeah. You have. It's it's like code, bro. Yeah. Hey, homie. Imagine a little kid. Imagine you came over the board. I mean, I guess it's probably just normal place. But like, you go over the border with a thing of heroin. You give it to a middle school kid. <laughs> You're like, you know, I was gonna message you in elementary, homie, but I seen you showed grade, you st- <laughs> and I really don't think you're gonna be nobody. But yo, here's an ounce of heroin. <laughs> You've been really showing off in kickball, and I think this really translates into pushing H into California. Um. Do you, what was the, what, do you remember the first time you were ever arrested? Yeah. What was it like? What happened? Uh, seventh grade, and back then, tagging was in. Yeah. And, you know. What was your tag name? Can I know? Or is yeah, it, it used to be called Store. Store? Oh, that's pretty cool. You're doing Great a trip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, like, I used to be called Store because I would tell everybody, homie, I have everything. That's why they call me Store. Like, I'm a store. I, I got everything. I like that, yeah. And plus, the letters were real easy, like, the S, like I chose letters that were like stand out. S T O and R stand out. Yeah, those are oh no E. Nah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's the way you make it. Yeah, I would say those are my favorite, probably graffiti letters. Prefer the S fire is slaps. Duh. The O's always fires. Fun. You know this like the the D's hard too. Yeah, yeah. The D's. There's all you. kinds, but yeah, that was the first time I got arrested. Or what arrested. happened? It was uh an alley. I'll never forget it. It was by Staples and my favorite place called the Pizza Store in the city of Orange. And I was just in that alley. It was called uh, Taggers Alley because everyone put their shit up there. And yeah. it was like, if you were good, they wouldn't cross you out. So I threw it up there. We used to have these things called Mean Streak Markers. And they stay on for life, whatever, but the new chemicals. And I, I remember how I did it. I did the S like that, the T, and then the O. I put a little C in it, and then just the Oh, with a little kick at the end, and then I fucking put it away. Turn around, the cops just like you're supposed to do this at night. <laughs> you get a freebie at night, dude. Yeah, and he was like, "What are you doing, man?" He's like, "You're out." There's a fence right there that people call the cops, and I was just like, you know, I was never a punk kid, but I was just more like, man, this is what I do. Like, yeah, I, I wasn't gonna lie to him, yeah. and he was just like. 
I got to take you in, bro. You look like a good kid, but they're watching me. Those people, they're sick of people riding in their alley, like kind of like grill me. And I was like, fuck, what, yeah. what, what was I doing? I mean, I feel like riding in an alley almost should be allowed. Because it's a Thank fucking you. alley. Who gives a fuck about it? If you're on the front business of somebody, then fine. I guess things, you know, go downhill, but who gives a shit if someone's riding in an alley? Yeah. So now, is this true if you cross someone's name out, it's on? Like you're about to fight that person or what? Like and I always that, see like the red ones or. Okay, look. <laughs> so back in my days, if you cross someone out or circle them, so like, like say your nickname was fucking Fury, Fury, yeah. And I seen your shit on the wall, and I wanted to fucking kill you or yeah. fight you. I'd circle your name and then put my name. Oh, right on. But if I crossed you out, it's on site, dog. We're moving furniture every time we see each other. Wow, that's interesting. So now, and now, when you see somebody like that, are you like kind of know this guy's name? Or you're like, I just fucking hate the way this guy's doing this shit. Yeah, or like back then it was like you're a toy, you're a fucking poser. You're yeah. like, you remember the movie uh, Beat Street? A little bit, yeah. Remember that guy spit, who would fuck up everybody's mural because yeah. he wasn't good. That's yeah. what would like, like the guys that okay. weren't good would like locals only kind of shit. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Okay. 1977, Jose gets his first car, a 1969 Ford Galaxy, to move heroin and pick up girls. Pretty cool so far. This is a quote from him. That's the year I stole my first wife. I say stole because she got in my car and I took off with her. I think she liked it because we lived together for almost 10 years after that. She liked the heroin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was probably a dope fiend for sure. September 1977, the DEA raided the ranch Jose was living at and seized 2.5 million drugs and firearms. They took Pedro to prison, and he was out for a few years. So Pedro's his dad, and now Jesus, uh, Jose is pretty much on the uh, on the living on his own. Do you think like he was like, damn, they didn't get the other shit, and he had to act like 100 percent, yeah. Yo, 2.5 million in drugs. That's exactly what I was about to say. 2.5 million in drugs in 1977 is a shit ton of drugs. What's the most drugs you've ever seen at one time? Mm. I did weed. I feel like weed now is kind of corny to say because you could just go in a guy who grows weed commercially now and he has like yeah. 10 garbage bales. But I remember when I was younger and I was just beginning to do it, um, my buddy had he had 10 pounds and he needed to store shit. three with me. He needed to store three with me in my bedroom. And then he that was about it. And it, at the point, I was like, this was the most weed I ever had. I remember I locked my door, locked my closet. And the smell, it. huh? Yeah, it was loud as fuck. But it was outdoor, so it was like, didn't even really smell that great. But, okay. You know, back in the day. You ever seen a large amount? Bro, so this is this is uh, my second baby's mom in, in life. Okay. I don't know this, but her dad slangs Coke. Oh, okay. And uh, he used to have this little refrigerator. You know the old school fridges that are like kind of like this, and then you open them. Yeah, yeah, there? deep freezers. Yeah, thank you, sir. And he, he was, hey, if you want some weed, go ahead. And if you want some white girl, but Mexicans we call it pase. Coke means pase. Okay. And I was like, all right. So I go, I go open it, dog, and I ain't gonna lie. There's like five bricks, kilos, and I'm just like. <clears throat> And I remember, I have a swagger to myself. If you yeah. invited me, so, hey, dog, I just, like, hit it with my hand and, like, that much of it. And he was like, go ahead. And I was like, whoa. 
But yeah, I was scared as hell. Yeah, you gotta act cool in the moment when you see this <laughs> shit. You can't be like, "Wow, we is this all yours?" And then you look like a fucking idiot and someone who isn't this isn't normalized in their life. Yeah, and I just remember like, "Fuck, they could raid like this is raidable." Like, yeah, that's real. Like, and this is 2002, 2001. Like, hey, bro. Yeah, they still got that fridge, but it's it's empty. <laughs> in case anyone's listening the fridge is now empty yeah the first murder shortly after the raid jose martinez's sister was murdered and her body was dumped near bombay beach at the edge of the salton sea so this is in california so wow. jose's sister was probably murdered by some cartel hitman most likely for uh his dad losing all that stuff he and his mother reported the murder to the sheriff's department but during that time jose found out who the murderer who were the murderers and his accomplices were in his own words that was the first three motherfuckers I killed. Damn. I mean, come on, dog. It's a good reason. Yeah. The murder of his sisters was the catalyst that set Jose down a path of being a contract killer. He was told he has told his origin story many times since his initial confes- confession, but it started at the funeral for his sister. As it's for the podcast of the funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, this is my guest, uh, the guys who killed my sisters. I will find them and I will gut them. God damn. Kind of a badass to be this young and going after the three guys. How old is he? Like what, 19? Yeah, he's this is all before he's 20, because he's gonna damn. take care of a couple more people before he's 20. Who, you don't have to obviously say name, was the scariest person you've ever met. Wow. Uh you know, there's a couple p- people that are my friends that are scary, but I think it's like, you know, when you have a bond someone since elementary? Yeah. And like, it's just like people trip out. They're like, yo, you just called this full of dumbass. You know, it's my fuck dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and this full shit in the same underwear. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I don't know, bro. Like, I've seen some fucking crazy motherfucker at prison the most. I just, yeah, I seen some fools that was just like, they ain't coming home. They don't want to come home, and they're just, uh, it's kind of a trip, bro, because they're just about their word. They're honest, good, clean people, but they're willing to risk their life if you mess with any of their world. So is that kind of, I mean, it's going to, I'm going to go back into the prison stuff a little more because I got a bunch of questions. But okay. even though, uh, well, I got a bunch of questions. Yeah. Ask. Well, the scariest guy I ever met was this guy, my uh, my buddy of mine who passed away uh, that I used to, was kind of like my, uh, my plug and my kind of like uh, muscle, my plug, my muscle. He passed away at a normal stomach surgery and then died and left his two daughters. Very sad. That but sucks. he, he uh, when I was rolling around with those guys, I kind of would be like the driver a lot of times. And he said, you have to go drive this guy named Capone and Kenny. Cap- the name already. Yeah, the name already was scary. So Capone was like this bald-headed black dude, face tattoos, squinty black eyes, red tall tee hoodie or shirt. And like uh, like Gerbos, but this is also like 2012, so like you can tell like I'm guessing he went into jail and came out and still thought those clothes were cool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it was a little late. And then the other guy was Kenny. Kenny didn't even need a nickname. Kenny was fucking scary because he <laughs> he was in he used to be in the military. Oh, he was experience. like a dark spo- spe- special ops guys. Yeah. So they would go and do hits. Not hits, but like licks. Yeah, right. They'd hit licks. They'd go and rob people. Yeah, and then. I remember one time, like, so, like, he, I, I just had to drive him somewhere. I don't, whatever. <laughs> but the, the problem wasn't that night, because that was that fun. The problem was now Capone had my phone number. 
And then he would he acted like I was his Uber. Yeah. He's like, hey, you need to come pick me up. And I'm like, I'm not going to. Yo, Fury. Yeah, yeah. Hey, dog, where you get me? And I would just have to, I had to get, oh, it was so hard. I had literally a. Uh, Your name was under Fast and Fury. Yeah, yeah. It was Scuba Steve. He would <laughs> yeah. go, hey, Scuba, come and pick me up. I'm like, I can't get you. He's like, I know where you live. And I was like, fuck me. And then I was able to kind of like foist him on someone else. Huh. Just never really got. Yo, my brakes are fucked up right yeah, now. Yeah, it was just it was a bunch of that kind of stuff until like he kind of I'm either guessing went to jail or something or. Damn. He used to bring me around all these different like haggard white women with just like gold teeth, face tattoos. They're That's all from sexy. a different place. <laughs> yeah, I mean these are big. These are like bigger women. I remember this. She's one chick did have. She was the plug on. Uh, I remember she was the plug on Lean. And uh, Norco's, but the problem was when Capone went away for a while, I started just going dealing with her, and it was great, you know. Middle, was no middleman. Yeah, but then he heard about it, and then I uh, beat the living shit out of her, and I never. Saw Damn, her. for just hooking you up? Because he said he wanted his cut on everything. <sighs> Who the fuck think he is the government? I know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was. I mean, yeah. He was a terrifying guy. Uh, the quote from the BuzzFeed article, I was a nice man until they killed my sister, and since then I said, fuck rapists and child molesters. When my father was at the funeral, I told my dad, I'm going to get those motherfuckers. He said, son, let God take care of them. I said, dad, God ain't gonna do shit. I don't know why I'm a fuck. I'm gonna hurt a lot of people's feelings, get people mad. I'm a firm believer of that. Like, that that's gonna be a lot of questions in this, because he keeps talking about... Mainly, I mean, it could just be a psychosis thing, but he's saying he's only killing rapists and pedophiles. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, who's really, it's almost like Dexter. It's like a hood Dexter. Yeah, like the well, show Dexter where he killed serial killers. This guy just hit, kills bad guys. That's Hey, bro, that's why I kind of like being in prison, because I knew I'm a good, solid motherfucker. There's no fakeness in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, hey, like, if you said it and you don't do it, I get to put hands on you now, dog. It's, I mean, it's, we can't live like that as a society, but as far as, there was this one quote, this guy always told me, hey, we need to take out the trash. I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, we have to clean up. If our people fuck up, we have to take out the trash. Don't let no one else take out our trash. And that's what he's doing. He's taking out the trash. He's like. I would, I couldn't agree more. And also, you know, I had uh, one of my, uh, a, a relative of mine who was a police officer worked at the L.A. County Jail, and he said that place was one of the most gnarly oh, places. Oh, dude, it rock and rolls. Yeah. He said it's worse than any prison around here. Because uh, he says, like, the doors are open and people can go. But he says at that jail, the guards don't even do anything. They go to the guys who are the head of each little mafia or gang and go, hey, you need to hit, deal with this guy. And it kind of, and it kind of goes I've never right. been to the Twin Towers, but... Uh, all I know is uh, it rock and rolls. Yeah. Yeah, don't. Don't go there for any reason. Nah. Like, yeah, I know a fool that went in there. My friend, uh, a comedian, that fool went in there on a suspended license, and the judge is like, yo, you're just going to do four hours. He's like, hell yeah. He goes, yo, dog, I got there. Uh, a riot kicked off player. I was in there for 20 days. <laughs> he was like, I got my license, though. <laughs> and he was like, all because some fool ate someone else's chips, dog. 
He's like, I hate chips. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a popcorn guy. I wasn't yeah. even in this fight. <laughs> he was like, yo, dog. I was, he goes, the judge didn't lie. I was in there for four hours. Then they shipped us to another one. <laughs> but hey, dog, it rock and rolls, bro. Like rock and roll. And it's like, you see this room right here? They'll fit 12, 15 people for like 18 hours a day. We got to kick it in here, dog. So what would be the okay? Because I'm gonna. I don't want to jump ahead in all the questions I have. Go ahead, whatever you want, bro. This is you. I know. Well, the thing is, let's, I wrote all these questions. Yeah, let's go. Let's yeah, go. Let's, let's keep go. going. Because I got a lot man. of. I got a lot of these. I mean, it's exactly what stuff I want to hear. Cut me off. Oh no, no, it's excellent. You're crushing it. Thank you. Jose Martinez killed the three people he believed were responsible for the murder of his sister, and he dumped their bodies in unmarked graves. When he talked about it later, he said, "I feel so proud. I was. I don't know. You feel good." You feel something relax in your heart when you take revenge. I mean, probably, you know. I mean, if... Ah! <laughs> I mean, hey, you know what they say? Eye for an eye. An eye for an eye. Yeah, this would make me feel better than someone trying... I mean, some random... I mean, you got to remember this, too. They just killed his sister. Just killed his sister. You're just, empty in there. Your dad's in jail for selling heroin now. And you got to... And what, you're going to believe that the Elamart police are going to be able to find these three killers? Yeah. These probably undocumented three killers? Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. You think he got up at five in the morning? He's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Cesar Chavez was right. This one time, I'll get these guys before they go to the fields. Oh, horrible. The Riverside County Sheriff's Office that uh, have said that they have a an open homicide investigation into the death of Cecilia Martinez and are aware of the accusations that Jose took revenge on the killers, but they have never been uh, able to substantiate them. Cecilia Martinez, why does that name sound so familiar? There's probably a lot of Cecilia Martinez. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. Probably a few of them. Oh, I already did the arrest. Okay, so let's, let's jump ahead then. So you arrested your first time you're going into jail. No, well, I didn't. I didn't go to jail. I okay, was just a, I was a juvenile. Well, then we'll go to jail the first time. Okay. What was your first? Because I'm gonna do a prison one later. What okay. was the first day in jail like? What's it like? Uh, my first day in jail. I'm 18 years old, and I got locked up for a possession of a firearm. Ooh, how long was that gonna be for? Check this out. It's 1996. It's a misdemeanor in California at this time. Oh, nice. That's and I wasn't a dumbass, bro. I was like, you know how it is, man. I, I should have never been in a gang. It was just like my dad was with the business and like all my friends. Friends are with yeah. And I was like, this is, I got to protect my area. Like, nah, this is what we're doing. And plus, what, you're the one guy not doing anything that all your friends are doing? Doesn't make, And your family's doing? It doesn't make yeah. sense how to do it. And so I just remember my dad had a lot of guns, and but like he taught me, so I would never, I would always have a clip. So he's like, "Don't get caught with a loaded weapon." So I would just throw the bullets. If there was a cop, dogs, hey, I'll get caught with this. I can, I can get a clip. Yeah, yeah, and just throw that shit, and that's how they got me. And I remember I went to uh, the uh, Orange County Jail, Theo Lacey. And, dog, it's a trip, man. Because, you know, back then nobody shaved their pubes and shit like how they do now. Like, I just remember, like, yo, get Wait, naked. they shave everybody's pubes now? No. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I just remember, like, it was disgusting to see oh, yeah. other men. No manscaped. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, like, fuck, dog. It was scary at the same time because you get introduced to, like, realness. 
Yeah. You know what I'm Real saying? Real quick, yeah. Like, hey, homie, whatever you've done out there means nothing, nothing. to me. Give a fuck that you were on the football team last year. And like, so I was healthy, dog. Yeah. And they were just like, come here. So now, first day in jail, are you automatically have to go up to some uh, group of people and be like, hey, I'm going to be with you guys? Or is it just kind of understood? Does someone go to you? I mean, like for me, too, you don't even have to talk about you. Let's say I went into jail. Am I going to have to go up or are they going to be like, this guy's a fucking comedian. He, he has nothing to serve. Us. Well, it was already known because when you take when I took my shirt off, they uh, oh, yeah. validate you. They look at your tattoos, tattoos. Yeah. and they were like, hey, you're already on file. They knew not to put me around like it's called a, a categorize. What was that shit called? Assessment. Big word for a cholo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, like. To me, it was just more like, fuck, there's some enemies in here. And I didn't know the whole politics. Like, there ain't no such thing as enemies. Our people's our people. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, you know, but, you know, I could see druggies trying to take advantage of me. And I just remember taking a stand. First day I took a stand. I was like, yo, homie, check it out. I'm not going to be doing this. I'm not going to be doing that. All right? Like, what's up? Yeah. I'm chilling right here. I know, like, I'm not going to be doing your stupid. Because fools will try to use you. Like, hey, check it out. Someone's going to hand you something. You bring that back to me. And I was like, I don't even know you, player. Like, let's set this shit straight right here. Mm -hmm. What's up? And don't get me wrong, though. I had to fight. That fool was yeah. like, oh, really? You do got to fight. <laughs> he was like, really? And then after that, he was like, you're cool, eh? Like, it's just a test. But it's just a fight. You're not going to get stabbed or something, right? No, nah, I mean, when you fight in there, it's like, say, they would walk up to you and they'd be like, what's up, man? Where, what's your name? Where are you from? And you'd be like, hi. Steve Fury. I'm from uh, <laughs> West Hollywood, California. Yeah, and they'd be like, what's up? Who you run with? And you would either be like, yo, uh, I'm a resident. I'm a white boy. I'm proud of my whiteness. Yeah. And the whites would take care of you. Or you could be like, hey. I uh, hang around all these Mets because I run with them. But my advice to you would be like, hey, I'm white. I'm a resident. I'm and I don't got no, no tattoos gang, or nothing. Yeah. But I am here to do my time, and I am down for my people. Hey, check it out. So they bring you this little thing called a kitty. It's a bag. Here's a soap for you, Steve. Here's a razor dog. Here's some deodorant. You know, you're, you're, you're with us. We don't want you to be looking and smelling bad. A little toothpaste, a little toothbrush. And then it's go time. But now it, they own me, right? Because No, no, it? they don't own you, bro. It's just, hey, homie, we're here to take care of you. Really? Yeah. It's not like they own you. Like, hey, put this heroin up your ass. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, hey, Steve, welcome, brother. You know? It's not like how the movies say when no. you walk in. I'm just getting butt-fucked within 10 <laughs> minutes. I'm, I'm in there. That's what I'm pretty much saying. How long before I get butt-fucked is essentially. Not, none of that shit part. goes on. It does not go on because it's. This in jail right frowned now. Frowned upon. It's like, oh. fool, the like. Imagine that, dog. You're walking in, and you're white, and you see another white fool fucking a white fool in the ass. You're going to be like, what the fuck, homie? They're going to kill both of you. There's there's no for, there's no, there's no no such thing as sex play. Like if we're in there and I fucking slap your balls, dog, it's like, hey, homie, it's on. Yeah. Unless you're like, dog. Yeah, one of the guys. Like, from back in the day. Like, <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. Additionally, one later characteristic of Jose is that he always gives up where he leaves bodies of the people he murders. This is a quality of twisted empathy to his crimes, and he has sworn to never give up the location of the bodies of the men that murdered her sisters. Those, his sister, those bones don't deserve to be found. Damn. 
In 2011, he got Los Corceles de Durango to sing a song called El Corrado de Cecilia. El which... Corrido de... Can I read this? Yeah. In 2011, he got Los Corceles de Durango to sing a song called El Corrido de Cecilia, which tells the story of his sister's death that revenge took afterwards. We can maybe see if we can listen to it real quick. I think YouTube will ban you for that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. We can't play it, but you can look it up on your own. <laughs> it's not that, there's probably not that many songs that have that title. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> Jose will claim revenge and money the reason for most of these murders. Have you or someone you know ever taken revenge on a person? Oh, shit. I can go first. Um, my buddy, Ch me, me and Chad used to... Uh, Deal, you know, I used to deal with him, and I remember one day he was like, I wanted to get a 20-pack, 20 20-pack 20 or 20 pounds of weed, because the price of weed goes substantially small, less when you go into the 10s and the 20-pack, but he's like, I'm a little bit short, and then he go, I go, okay, and so I threw him in a couple grand, probably five grand, and he goes to get it, and the guy robs us both, but like, at this point, you know, like, Chad's my muscle, if he can't take care of it, I can't, I'm not. I'm not going to be fucking Jose How'd Martinez. You, you guys pull out straps? Yeah, like, yeah, hey, yeah. You ain't. Yeah, Damn. It was, just, it was just there. It was just done. That'd How are you going to argue with the gun? Yeah, it's the same thing. He's like, the guy, well, the two times, I don't remember, the one with Chad, I don't really remember what happened on that one. He was inside, but the one I had one in my face, the guy goes, you know what time it is. I'm like, I know exactly what motherfucking time it is. It's time for me to give up this fucking weed because I don't give a shit about that. Yeah, I would have been like, it's military time. <laughs> <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere? What's the answer to this? Please don't shoot me. Chad then uh, went on a fucking spree, found this guy's house, and lit all of his cars on fire. Hey, that's how, hey, that's. And he got the money back for us. Yeah. He's passed away now, so I can say pretty much anything about him, and I yeah. don't really say his name. Timeline, point and shoot, easy money. That's the name of this one. October 21st, 1980. Jose Martinez and his friends were hanging out smoking some weed when his friend said that his sister had been raped. Apparently, his sister still lived in Mexico, but the man that had raped her moved to Lindsay, California with her, his son and wife. Jose told him he could help him for $500. He later said that he felt anger when he heard the word abuse and $500 were handy. Point and shoot. Easy money. That's what he said. A few hours later, uh, that same day, Martinez and his friend drove to the house of David Bedoya, the rapist. Bedoya and his wife got into the car to go to work. Uh, they were grape pickers, and on their drive, they picked up another worker. Not long before they reached the grapevine, Jose drove behind the car and shot four times. Two bullets went past Bedoya and into the windshield, but two more hit Bedoya in the head, killing him instantly. Wow, 500 bucks, uh, not a lot of money, but in theory, he's murdering a rapist. If someone had an open checkbook, could you kill a prolific child-molesting rapist? And if so, how much money would you need? That could be life-changing. Like, I would go, uh, if you don't want to answer, I can answer. I'll do it for free. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I'm, I, it's a prolific child-molesting rapist. It's later. It's a wrap. Yeah. It would be like an honor under my belt. I think I could die and be like, hey, man. I did something good. I did something good because this motherfucker could do this shit to anybody. And, you know, and, that, and that, yeah, I just don't, that's, I don't play with that shit. You're done. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I'm, I 100% think that, uh, you know, the death penalty for a repeat offender should be, uh, 
pretty high up there because that's not something you can really no one no one's like yeah yeah i used to be a child rapist yeah there's no rehabilitation no. for that like how, how do they rehab i'm like hey kick it at this daycare <laughs> and we notice you don't look at no one like come on dog that's like no yeah it's just over you know they get less time than like drugs and gang members and yeah. shootings fuck that shit yeah my friend uh who was a uh He's a guard at Pelican Bay. He was like, yeah, you can always tell the uh, pedophiles because they're the nicest guys in there. Because they're like, one, they want to get help from the guards, but they're also just like, you know, creepy old guys. Yeah, fuck all that. 23, oh, okay, so. I'll ask that one next one. 23 years later, when Martinez confessed to the murder, he said very matter-of-factly that he did it because he raped a 16-year-old girl. Even worse, a kid. I know. <sighs> They're, you're just ruining someone's life. And then a lot of times when you rape this kid, you're putting him on the fucking path that you just were on. Yeah. So you're, you're making this thing keep going. Another side note, Jose has never identified the friend who hired him. This became a trend for him as he would frequently admit to working jobs with other people but refused to identify anyone he ever worked with. Good man. It's pretty cool, good I know. Good man. Like a lot of the stuff he's saying is pretty good. All right, so far. Fucking <laughs> 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 Steve was like, hey. He's making some solid points here. I mean, this is I'm not a stand-up guy. No, stand-up killer. Taking out the trash. Taking out the trash. He's taking out the trash. What, you guys want to live with trash everywhere? Yeah, for real. He's saving the community as, I mean, as much as he's infesting it with drugs. That's true. He's on both sides. It's kind of, yeah, dog. It's crazy. All right. So far, he's killed four people, three that killed his sister, and one alleged rapist before the age of 20. So we just said the rapist thing. Let's go into this one. So how does, um, when someone goes into prison, I've always heard that uh, rape, sex offenders get the worst um rap as they should you know they everyone in the gang, they separate them they separate them now yeah. how does the gang in or how does groups inside learn that someone is a sex offender okay so um i don't know how other states do it but when you're locked up in california they everyone it's not it's mandatory like so look say me and you get sold up together when I walk into that cell, I'm not, I'm going to put my bag down and I'm going to be like, what's up, homie? I'm George. I'm Shotgun from Orange. You know, how you doing? Uh, here's my paperwork. And I show every offense I've ever been locked up for. If you tell me you don't have that shit, I'm like, look, you got three days to give me your paperwork. Mm -hmm. Like, But it's mandatory. Yeah. And like, nah, it's, yeah. it's on. But some people... See, they got this thing called SNY yards, special need yards. And on those yards is snitches, rapists, pedophiles, uh, people who owe bets that turned. It's it's bad, bro. And they also have like uh transgenders mm. because it's kind of hard yeah. to be in general population. So they have those special need yards for them. And what happened is so say you're doing 25 years yep, and you're on a special needs yard your first five years and you're just like, you know, fuck, I'm sick of this because they don't get the same shit of general population. There's no program for them because if you leave them out, they're someone's going to get them. Yeah, they're going to get out. So they be like, maybe nobody knows. No one remembers. And then they remember. <laughs> all, people, all people got is time in jail or prison. Yeah. They're going to fucking remember. Yeah, I seen it go down once. Yeah. Yeah, it was in a dorm, and I didn't know. And somebody was like, hey, dog, 
it's going to go down today. I was like, what's going on? He's like, the whites are taking out their trash. And I was like, what? And they got him. They stabbed him like four times, and this will just kept running. It, it was pretty crazy, man, to see a stabbing and just like, have to sit there and be like, yo, this will touches any of their homies. We got to jump. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Now they took, hey, I give it up to the whites. They took the trash out that day. Now, if you think, let's say, I was, let's say that guy got stabbed five times. Is it like, is it clear now or it's like still on site whenever this guy fucking comes around? Every fucking time until he's <sighs> dead. That's it. It's a wrap. bad for him, but just the empathy of that existence would be fucking gnarly. Yeah, well, that poor kid that he did yeah, that yeah. to a person has to live with the same yeah. thing he's going to live with now. For sure. For sure. 100%. Yeah. The story of Mr. X. June 1979. 50 people gather for a party in the town of La Cofradia. La Cofradia. Deep in the Sierra Madres. This was a dirt road town that was lawless in quite a way. People fended for themselves and the drug trade was central to the economy. Sometime during the party, there was an over, uh, argument over who was dancing with who, and people drew pistols. Four people were killed. <laughs> For dancing? September 1982. It seems like, yeah, that's like, it seems like guys were on cocaine, you know? I feel like that's something that would really get you... Solid, solid. good yeah. shit. Well, no, like, they're, like, angry. Like, it seems like getting mad at someone dancing with a girlfriend seems like maybe you were high on some kind of speed or something. September 1982, a friend came to visit Jose at his home in Elamart. The friend told him one of the people that had been killed at the party of La Cofradia was a... <laughs> he's, I might even just have you say it every time I come to something. La Cofradia. Cofradia. There you go. Was a distant relative of his. He also said that the two men that were responsible had moved to California and were living in Santa Barbara County. One of the guys' name was Sylvester Aion. They say Santa Bruta. What's that? That's Santa Barbara. That's how Mexicans say it. Oh, yeah? Santa Bruta? was from there. <laughs> I was like, Santa Bruta. It seems interesting that they can, like, undocumented workers can live in Santa Barbara, though. It's like a very nice, expensive area. Dog, uh, there's always yeah. a place where the poor got to live to f- work feed for the, the rich. rich people. Yeah. yeah. There's a jack in the box over there. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be living in a fucking beach That's house true. working a jack in the crack. That's true. 